you're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I am your host, Gemma, and today we have got a special episode for you all about our future travel scenarios. This work looked at the different scenarios for how we will travel around in the future. And of course, it comes at the perfect time when our travel patterns have changed drastically due to the pandemic. And we've got loads of insight and evidence and data to look at already. So to explore this really interesting topic, I am joined by my colleague, Mr. Simon McGlone. He is our Senior Planning and Strategy Officer at Transport for the North. And he's here to tell us more Uh, about the future travel scenarios work which he very expertly led so hello to you Simon. Hi Gemma thank you for having me that's some introduction. Oh thank you so much for being here this is a really uh, interesting really exciting piece of work but first of all Simon just tell us a little bit um, about yourself and about your role at Transport for the North. Yeah sure so uh, I've worked in the public sector for around about 17 years now across uh, national and local governments. The the bulk of that has been spent working on policies and, and projects focused around the decarbonisation of energy, um, the economy and also transport. So I've worked in TFN now for about five years, so um, probably an old hat and, and been involved from the early stages of our journey, um, working on the strategic transport plan, our investment programme and now the uh, the future travel scenarios, which we can get into a little bit. Fantastic. So you've obviously, uh, as you say, you're a bit of an old hat. You've been here for a good number of years. So you've uh, helped us develop in all sorts of ways and help drive the transport agenda forward. Give us the background and a bit of an overview to future travel scenarios. Now, I know it's a huge piece of work and it can be quite complex, but it is also very accessible. And I think if anybody has sat down to to read any of the documents, hopefully it does make sense. And and you've done a really good job with that, with yourself and the team, Simon, at at bringing it to life. So tell us a little bit about uh, future travel scenarios. Give us an overview of the work. Yeah, so so the core thrust of it really is is about focusing on the the factors outside of transport that might influence how we move around, how we might interact with the transport system. Um, and broadly, we, we, we can split them into things like economic factors, social and behavioural choices, um, technology advancement, um, environmental factors and decisions around there. So it does sound very com- complex, as you say, but you quickly get into to quite direct questions around how um, quickly we might make changes to reach our decarbonisation goals, where we might choose to live, where we might choose to work, how do we take our children to school, you know, is it bike, car, autonomous vehicle, um, do we own a car in the future, and and how do we obtain our goods and, and services in the future, so, so do we rely on deliveries, which we've seen an increase in over the last 12 months, or do we continue to go to shops, and, and where are those shops? So lots of fundamental questions that we get get into in this work um, and transport is really an, an enabler for all of that so so we really need to take that whole system approach and, and think really quite broadly in terms of how we move around and the choices that we make um, historically we haven't been so strong at, at thinking whole system um, we were quite siloed in, in our thinking in the past but this is really one of those methods to, to explore that and expand that thinking 
Um, and, and, you know, really with the end goal of putting this stuff into the heart of our long-term planning, our decision-making, so that we're, we're resilient to the future. Um, and we also don't view future as a risk, as a, as you know, a, something that, that we can't manage because we, we can approach the future with, with confidence um, through some of this work. That, that's a, a, a fab overview, Simon. So let, let's get a little bit specific about some of the whys and where fours. Um, can you start, first of all, for, for those like myself and probably quite a lot of our listeners who aren't directly involved in sort of transport planning and modelling, where do you start with something like this? How does it even begin? Yeah, very good question. So, so Obviously, all of those things that I've just mentioned there are, are very intertwined and, and they're, they're quite complex questions in themselves. So there are there are a number of techniques to, to factor in future uncertainty into into work that we do. We we chose the scenarios because they have an ability to, to draw out the different challenges, the different opportunities in the future um, and paint a really clear picture, really, in terms of what we might see our world develop into. Um, they're also a really good constructive tool to, to collaborate around. That was something that we wanted to do um, and then take that away and, and test in our in our policies and our plans. Um, the, the easiest thing to 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 set out the scenarios or in terms of how we approach them, we, we had four kind of guiding principles around around the work. Um, the first was that, that the scenarios need to be plausible. So, so they need to be things that people can believe in when they see them. Um, the second was a need for a bit of variation. So we wanted four different, very scenario, uh, very different scenarios to test our plans against a wide ranging future um, state. The third one, we wanted to illustrate problems. So we didn't want this to be a, a fully positive piece of work. We wanted this to draw out the challenges. We wanted to open up those tricky conversations um, and, and navigate a way through that to the solutions. And, and then lastly, we, we wanted this to illustrate the trade-off. So, so we have within TFN and across the north, we have a number of different visions around economic growth, um, environmental sustainability ambitions, social exclusion, uh, sorry, inclusion. So, so lots of different trade-offs and, and, and obviously we want to meet all of these, but within individual schemes, there might be trade-offs between those in terms of how we deliver as a whole. Um, so, so yeah, ultimately, it's it's a future-proofing exercise. Um, it does tell a story, and, and the reports do try to paint a, a clear picture of, of what those worlds look like. But we're also very keen to make it a tangible process, something that we can plug into our work and really put to use as we go forward with what TFN does on a daily basis. There was one word you mentioned in there, and it's a word that comes up a lot in these podcasts and something that I know TFN prides itself on and certainly something that that really underpins our strategic value and uniqueness. And that's collaboration and the way we bring all parts of the North together, all the the, um, leaders of the local transport authorities, all the LEPs, all the delivery partners. Um, Just tell us a little bit more about the the collaborative work that went into the Future Travel Scenarios project. Yeah, that, that's right, Gemma. As a subnational transport body, the, the collaboration, as you say, with the partners and the stakeholders is, is really fundamental to, to how we, we add value. Um, and there's a real strength in that if we do it right. Uh, with, with this work, with the scenarios work, that there is no fully right or wrong answer with some of this stuff. It, it's based on existing trends and evidence. Um, and and 
really in, engaging that constructive challenge and discussion with our partnership was key right from the off. Um, so we've developed these uh, scenarios and the building blocks behind them with our 20 local authority uh, transport partners. We've also worked quite heavily with Highways England and Network Rail, our delivery partners, and also Department for Transport as well. Obviously keen to ensure that whilst we're looking at the region, we're also plugging into that national picture as well. Um, and what, one of the other interesting things we did for this work was develop a independent expert panel, which brought together thought leaders from across those different um, aspects that I mentioned earlier on. And, and that really helped shape and, and guide the work. They provided some really thought provoking insights um, into possible changes in the future. And, and that really made for some really good dis discussions. Um, I should say that, that 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 collaboration doesn't stop at the published reports. So the reports were published uh, December last year. Um, and, and really that's just the start of that engagement and having a tool that we can build on in, in the future really helps us do that. Fantastic, yeah, you've uh, really hit the nail on the head there in terms of outlining why that collaborate, collaborative effort uh, is so important and, and the value that it really does bring to, uh, to TFN and our work. So um, that's a fantastic introduction to the, the Future Travel Scenarios work. Let's have a look at some of the detail now. There are four different plausible future scenarios and these are so interesting. I remember when I was reading the, the report for the first time and um, thinking about those four different sort of worlds, what they might mean for, for myself, for the way we work, the way we shop and travel and do leisure activities. So interesting. Tell us about those, those four different scenarios. Yeah, and, and I think, Gemma, you're spot on there. It's great if people can read read these things and, and see themselves in, in, in these worlds and, and what does it mean for them. I think, I think that's the really important part of this work is drawing people in, thinking about transport. It's often very complex and technical, but actually in the real world, what do we all need and want? So, so I think um, that that's that's a really good point. In terms of the four scenarios, if I just briefly describe each one, and, and there's much more in the reports on these. Um, but the first up, we've got just about managing, which is, uh, I guess, a scenario of inertia a little bit. We we see um, a gradual change and shift in our lifestyles and our travel um, patterns, but but we we don't alter our behaviours so much and, and, and we're, we don't give up certain luxuries that we've all grown to like. Um, the economy remains quite unequal and, and it lacks agility. It's uh, vulnerable to shocks that, that we've seen of, of late, although perhaps hopefully not not the one that we've seen um, again, please. Um, and, and major developments are, are, are broadly um, led by market forces rather than politically led. We've then got our digital distributed one, which I, I, I should have chose a different name because I can't say it. Um, always struggle <laughs> to say that one. Um, but but that's a world where we we fully embrace technological change. We work remotely a lot more, um, and, and we're driven by a willingness to engage with te technology. Um, and we see a much more service-based transport system, which which has that kind of connected and, and autonomous world that that we've heard of. Uh, there's more shared mobility coming to the fore and in, in that one we meet our climate change targets except from uh, we, we see a slow progress at first on that as people don't come out of their private cars as quickly. The, the third scenario is urban zero carbon um, and this is the one that sees a fundamental 
refocus from both the public and and governments towards kind of early and significant climate change action. Um, so we see lots of zero emission transport systems. We see that that integrated planning right across transport, energy, spatial, and other sectors to really achieve that decarbonisation goal as as kind of the key thing of our time. Really, um, we also see a shift to urban densification. So more people moving into urban areas and a lot more placemaking within the urban areas to make them very livable. I guess the flip side to that is the last scenario, which is our prioritised places scenario, um, which sees a focus on people and place and, and a, a drive that no place is left behind across across the north. Um, so every area has a bespoke strategy. We see investment in local assets and specialisms um and and also a change in priorities so we see a, a focus on work-life balance perhaps more four-day working um and a real emphasis on community localism and, and place making across the communities in the north that's such a useful and interesting insight into those four different scenarios and, and when you when you set them out like that they can sound really quite distinct and we have to try and make them um, very different in order to say these are the sort of four pathways. But actually there's some similarities and there's always sort of trade-offs. And of course these aren't, we're not saying any of these are definitely going to happen and, and definitely going to happen in the way that we've described, are we? No, no, not at all. The um... The TFN vision, I should say, is is sat somewhere in the in the middle of all of that. Um, mm -hmm. So so we don't have a preferred scenario out of the four. Um, that's that's a really important point to make. And and you know it, it's about assessing how our transport interventions then stack up against these these four worlds. You know, do do they help us deliver them? Are there challenges that come out that that you would have to then go away and look back at your your plans around your investments? Um, to support some of the goals that, that we want to meet. So, yeah, very important point that, that, that we are sat in the middle of there somewhere. Um, and, and this is about ensuring resilience in our planning in the long term. Yeah, exactly. And the point is, this is a, a, a planning tool, isn't it? So we've, we can see that there are there is potential for four quite distinct scenarios where a set of criteria are more likely to happen and with different focuses whether it's a focus on place whether it's a focus on uh, digital sort of infrastructure and ways of living and working whether it's that focus on the environment what this is doing is setting those out so that we can then take any and all transport plan plug the data into any of these four potential future worlds and say okay if we get to that situation this is how this particular uh, transport project is going to stack up and if that then shows that well if we end up in a prioritized places world this transport plan is simply not going to work we then have that intelligence and that foresight to say well in that instance we're going to have to rethink yeah and it, and it really plays into the hands of the the government's green book changes of, of late and the you know the real focus on on as i said before not just looking at transport in in a silo um and, and really taking that broad spectrum view across what what our work will do for people moving around but but also what opportunities it will give them as well 
Um, so, you know, what, one of the core objectives of TFN is opportunities for all across the north. So, you know, how how do we how do we best take that into account? How do we assess that? How do we put that into our decision making? And this this is one tool to be able to to allow us to do that a lot better. Mm, for sure. Uh, one of the things that is obviously and we've we've touched on it already. I want to talk a little bit more about it. Is the impact of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic has obviously changed a lot in terms of the way we live, the way we work, the way we travel, our leisure opportunities, and so on and so forth. What has that taught us in the context of the future travel scenarios? Uh, we've obviously seen the need for digital connectivity in particular for those of us working at home has become so much more important over the past 15 months or so. So how does that tie into that potential for a digitally distributed world? And, and again, what does it teach us about uncertainty and factoring that into our planning for the future? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and, and I think you know, it, it proves the point of undertaking the work in, in in many ways. So we we started this work before the COVID pandemic um, came to light, um, and and we've been, I guess, in terms of the work, we've been in a fortunate place to be able to shape and adapt it as as that has has come out, and 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 we've all adapted to it. So we have um, been very mindful of it. We've made updates along the way. Some of the the aspects that we some of the questions we drew out as part of the develop, development of this work uh, really came to the fore during this time. So as you say, working from home, that digital digital connectivity where you can do it has been really valuable. Um, decarbonisation and air quality has really come to the come to the fore, hasn't it? And, and we've all valued that that air quality that we've all recognised, you know, um, has, has really improved over the last year with, with less people moving around. Active travels really come out and, and the use of more sustainable modes. So lots of things have, have really come out over the last 12 months. And, and, and I think having that tool um, to be able to adapt to that is, is really important. Um, and, and as we come out the pandemic, it's really important as well because car, roads, transport, um, rail, public transport has been hit in lots of different ways. And we're really going to have to be agile to 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 adapt to how we um, how we all get back to our, our normal lives, if you like. Um, so so our scenarios are built out to 2050. They're, they're long term scenarios, and and in many ways that they're, they're built to withstand certain economic shocks along that that kind of time horizon, that 30 year horizon. Um, but having this tool built now that we can adapt as we go gives us a real opportunity to to be quite. Um, on the money with how things change in the future. I've read this report um, a couple of times, actually. I'm sure you'd be very pleased to know. Um, now, this, the, the, you know, the word, the word future is right, right in there. You know, how are we going to be uh, needing to be moving around over the next kind of few decades and potentially beyond? Uh, there's nothing in here about flying cars, Simon. Uh, I didn't see any of these. You know, getting sort of jumping into a a vacuum tube and getting sort of swished along from you know Warrington to Manchester instead of having to stand on a crowded a crowded train platform. Um, why 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 aren't we getting these things that I've been seeing on the on the telly and in the films? It, it does take us back to our childhood, doesn't it, with the Jetsons or, or <laughs> other things like that? And, and I think you're showing your age there, Simon. <laughs> I love the Jetsons, so uh, yeah, definitely with you on that one. 
Yeah, yeah, it used to be a favourite of mine. But um, yeah, I mean, by by no means we we wouldn't we wouldn't rule these things out um, by any means. And 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 I guess it comes back to that plausibility aspect of the work. So we are we are at an exciting time for transport. We we really are in terms of how things are going to change in the next few years. Um, but you know, without trying to disappoint anyone, the, the old ways can still be the best. So so cycling, walking, you know, twenty minute city concepts based around placemaking, you know, these are all simple things that have been around for years that can still make a, a really big difference. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear from from my colleague Peter Cole about the decarbonisation strategy, no doubt, and and that that's a really big agenda for for anyone in transport right now. So and it brings it brings some really exciting um, solutions. So you've got things like zero emission vehicles um, and, and how they are critical to meeting our carbon tra trajectories. You know, how do we how do we put in the right level of EV charging infrastructure to, to support everyone across the north? Um, that is something that we're working on a, a lot at the moment around building evidence for that. Um, hydrogen, you, you've got strengths across the north, across um, Tees Valley and Merseyside in particular, around the production of hydrogen. How do you fuel buses and, and other things like um, HGVs with that? You've got the onset of connected and autonomous vehicles, which you know is is a little way off, I guess. We've got a bit bit of work to do in terms of how that how that kind of comes through in the mix, but but that can have huge social benefits and give many people access to to road transport that that perhaps they don't have. At the moment, um, it can, of course, bring implications of more demand for road space and more congestion. So, so we have to, you know, the, there is a, a a a raft of solutions that have to come together to to help us deliver our future travel. Um, and it's not just the the one thing. We, uh, sorry, I'll give you a few more examples for a stop. We, we, you know, we're seeing the move away from private vehicle, especially in the urban areas. Um, and how integrated transport systems can really play a key part. So strengths in, in the likes of Liverpool, Greater Manchester, West Yorkshire, Newcastle, where they're, where they're really bringing together that package of you know, metro, train, bus, uh, active travel. And, and that's that's really key as well. Um, battery power technology is coming through. So we're seeing more micro mobility with um, scooters and kind of e-scooter trials across the north happening at the moment. And then we shouldn't forget about bus. Bus gets forgotten about quite a lot. It's it's not fancy. It's not a flying car. It's not a tube that sucks you up into the air. But it it's vital for especially for those rural communities, um, the likes of Cumbria, Lincolnshire, Lancashire, uh, real heartbeat of of our rural areas. So, you know, I, I'm not talking about fancy, innovative things here. I'm talking about things that we all know because they're, they're happening, you know, across the north and elsewhere. But they will make a big difference. Um, uh, and ultimately, it's about A to B travel. It's about how do we get people from A to B? How do we give them the most opportunities to get access to opportunities across uh, the north? Um, but also, you know, when, when those flying cars do come through and those those tubes do come through, putting the north at the front of the queue um, and, and being on hand to take advantage of that technology when it comes. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll let you off for, for not giving me my, <laughs> my flying cars and my, my whizzy tubes very soon. You made such a good point there um, about cycling and walking. Absolutely right. They are still fantastic ways to get around. And if we're heading towards a future where 
things are, are sort of closer together and what did you call it like a 20 minute town where everything's uh you know within cycling and walking distance well that that's fantastic I mean a, a, a push bike is is one of the most efficient machines right yes yeah and and again it comes back to that whole system thinking so so you can have the cycling infrastructure but then you also need the the facilities to you know, help help you at the end so if, if you live in Manchester like me and it's a rainy day and you cycle in you'd really like a shower and, and, and some lockers at, at the end of your journey to, to do that and 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 it's about the whole system working for the user um, and, and making it, it more and more plausible for people to, to want to pick up their bike and, and go. Yeah and I, I, I again I think the other thing is you we don't necessarily need fancy shiny new things sometimes it's about doing the things that we currently do but just a little bit better a little bit more efficiently cost effectively more uh more reliably yes and and um a good example of that is is back to the buses so so um i mean i'll mention one place in the north and and obviously there are there are others um but harrogate's had great success uh, in turning their bus fleet into electric buses over the last couple of years and, and that is being replicated across across the region um, and that is yeah that's an example of retrofitting buses into something more sustainable that helps us meet our, our targets um, and it's actually a more pleasant ride as well um, it's, it's a lot quieter and the same for the rail fleet as well sorry we, we've had great yeah. success with the rail fleet recently the, the removal of those those awful pacer trains um, and a nice new fleet that hopefully you know as we come out of covid people will will jump back on when they when they feel ready to do so. The Harrogate buses are amazing. I've not been on one for uh for ages. I've not I've not been up to that neck of woods for um for a long, long time. But I remember uh CEO uh Alex Hornby joined uh, one of our TFN Talks webinars last year and he did it from the bus because there are tables yeah. and there's Wi-Fi. <laughs> And I just thought that was absolutely fantastic. And you're absolutely right with the, with the trains as well, particularly the new Northern trains, which I was super excited about getting uh, to work. Must have been the back end of 2019, early 2020, before uh, before we worked from, from home, obviously. But again, they were just so much more comfortable. And if I needed to do a few emails on the journey, then I could. And it was fantastic. Uh, and yeah, and, and this work is... Yeah, it's about innovation, but it, innovation is is based on the baseline that you're working with. So, so we started with trains with with no power sockets, um, or very very few power sockets and few tables. Um, so, so to move to trains that have a lot more of that and, and enable people to work on their way to uh, on the way to the office if if they still want to do that, that's innovation in itself. You know, you're putting in new practices that that make for a better world for people so you know we, we might be a little bit behind in that sense in, in, in other places but it's still really important stuff and really important change that, that needs to happen. What are going to be the main investment and logistical challenges as we as we do that as we go forward over the coming years and, and, and decades I guess? So I, I think the exciting one for me having worked in in, in a number of policy areas and, and again it, mainly the energy and the transport side is is those different sectors coming together more and more and we're seeing that and, and over the last few years we've seen that um more and more the, the only way we can reach the ambitions we want to is, is by working close 
closely together on some of these aspects that we haven't probably done in the past. And, and spatial planning is another key one there around the, the housing and, and developments across the north as well. So I think we need to be brave and open up these conversations and, and work like this really helps us do that. Um, you know, we, we won't have all the answers. Um, so I, I think the, the challenge is to, to find those together. The EV project is one example of that where you know, we're, we're bringing in the electricity partners to, to help us identify, okay, what does travel demand look like? What does it mean for the electricity grid? Um, and then for, therefore, where do those charge points go? Um, so that, that's one example. Um, so, you know, th these are the big agenda of our time is climate change. And, and I think the only way we're going to meet that is by working together as a whole um, and, and do that in a constructive way. Mm. For sure, for sure. So, um, what happens next then? Where, where, where do we take the the future travel scenarios from here? Because you know, again, very conscious. It's not just do a load of work, publish a report. It sits on everybody's desks, and we don't do anything with it. How do things get put into action from here? Well, first up, we go away and we put flying cars back in. Um, <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> gold star for me. Uh, um, but yeah, no, again, nail on the head that we, we don't want this to be just another report. Um, we want this to be a, an active tool that, that we're using within TFN that, that, you know, is available to our partners across the north as well to use. Um, and we're really excited that it can, it can provide some really powerful analytical um, outputs when we start looking at our schemes in our investment programme um, or Northern Powers Rail. And really starting to, to find out, okay, how do those schemes stack up in these scenarios? What do we really need to do? Um, and asking ourselves those those questions. The the other thing that we're actively using it in is our decarbonisation strategy, which we've touched on. Um, and and this has really formed a bit of a baseline for that work, and it's allowed us to to go away and um, identify decarbonisation pathways based on these four scenarios. Um, but I won't go into too much there because I know you'll cover it elsewhere. Um, and, th and then, yes, uh, applying it to, to our work going forward around um, engaging on the, the spatial planning side of things. Social inclusion is, is really important and there's a piece of work within TFN at the moment on, on that around transport related social inclusion, uh, which will look at the scenarios as well. Um, and then really, yeah, as I said before, using this as an engagement tool going forward and, and really building the evidence around it so that we can articulate it in a in a clear and understandable way and, and open up those conversations going forward. Fantastic. Well we look forward to uh seeing all that play out and yeah maybe maybe one day we will get those uh those flying cars. Let's see. But I think in the in the meantime we'll settle for reliability, cost effectiveness uh efficiency and uh, a transport network that gets us uh, to where we need to go um when we need to be there i think that'd be a very good start plus the lottery numbers maybe <laughs> excellent good stuff and um, simon thank you so much for joining me one last thing that we must mention is that we're super excited that the future travel scenarios work has been shortlisted at the CIHT Awards 2021. It's been nominated in the transport planning category. Uh, now, I believe it's a little bit later on in June when we hear the winners for that, but we've got everything crossed, right? 
Yeah, it's nice for the word to be recognised. So, so yes, everything crossed, um, and and we did actually we won the the geography and government award last week as well. So, um, that that was very nice, and, and yeah, hopefully we could be double winners. You never know. Absolutely, yeah, definitely a fantastic to be shortlisted. Uh, yeah, this, our strategic transport plan actually won the transport planning award at the CIHT awards last year. So who knows? Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do the double. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Simon. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me. And if anybody would like to find out more about our future travel scenarios, and I really do recommend that you do, even if you just skip through the document, not that people wouldn't want to read your full report, Simon, I know many, many people do, but for those who just want a little bit more of a light touch, you can skip through in those four scenarios, and I'm going to test myself here, just about managing digitally distributed, zero urban carbon and prioritised places. There's a couple of pages on each of those within the within the full future travel scenarios reports. So even if you just want to have a have a look at those and have a read, and uh, as we said at the start, think about what that might mean for for you, because that's the point of doing all this is that it comes down to how people and businesses need to use transport networks to get around. It's all on our website. If you head to transportforthenorth.com and search for future travel scenarios at the at the top. You'll find the, the page on there with the full report that you can download and read. Uh, it's super interesting and uh, hopefully everybody will uh, will agree with that one. So thank you again to Simon. Don't forget also, if you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts, they are all on the website as well. There's a section in the news bits for all your podcasts. And we also will keep you updated with everything that's going on all the time across our social media accounts and also in our weekly All Points North newsletter as well. And you get that by subscribing in the box at the bottom of our website homepage. So thank you for listening and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.